Morning, church. So if you're not there already, you'll want to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 13. Um, You can think maybe afterwards about how Luke 18 that Eugene read is a really helpful compliment um, to our passage for this morning. So basically, last Sunday, this Sunday, the last Sunday of 2023, the first Sunday of 2024, we're kind of just getting back to basics, Um, starting with God's character and his grace and our need. We need the word of God. We're desperate for it. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus said it, right? And we cannot make it without depending on God in prayer. And yet these simple, like available to us every day, means of grace, we oftentimes forget, we devalue, we don't prioritize, and so forth and so on. So just a reminder, get back to basics, like Vince Lombardi with his, you know, team year after year, gentlemen, this is a football. Um, If you don't know, there's like one person that got that, okay. Um, So there's this game called football, and there's a football, and Vince Lombardi was a pro football coach, and even though these guys had played since they were, you know, little kids, they needed to go back to basics and not forget the basics if they were going to be successful. Um, or you could think about it this way, like if you have a super busy day, you got to go this where, this place, that place, appointments all over the place, you're just too busy to fill up your car with gas. How's that day going to go? Or if you've got like all this strenuous exercise and work and working out and work that you need to do, I said work like three times, okay, anyway, and you just, I don't have time to eat, and you wonder why you're just totally gassed by 11 a.m., Okay, so back to basics, super important. A couple questions before we dive into the passage. Anybody just like totally jazzed and excited about 2024 and think it's just going to be like the best year in the history of the human race? Okay, like one person. All right, well, we all need to ask you afterwards why why you think that. Um, Anybody super excited about 2024 being the best year of your individual life where you will just happily live your best life now all year long? Oh, wow. Okay. Some really optimistic people here. It's good. Um, So I imagine probably most of you don't feel that way. Um, We're pretty painfully aware in this world we will have trouble. Jesus said it. There are wars and rumors of wars. There's disease and death. Sadness and pain, loss and disappointment, fighting without, fears within. Anybody likely to walk through 2024 anxious and fearful of what might be around the next circumstantial bend? Anybody wondering about that? Like perhaps even your soul is maybe a little bit in kind of a defensive posture. Maybe you're kind of cringing as you wait for the other shoe to drop. More trouble. Anybody weary, discouraged, maybe a little defeated, maybe even creeping toward jadedness and cynicism? I won't have you raise your hands. So the theme is prayer this morning. Excellent book on prayer that, um, boy, I was reminded how good it is just reading some more in preparation for this. Paul Miller, A Praying Life. I would highly recommend it to you. Let me just read... um, 
a few paragraphs here from kind of the middle of the book. He writes this, the opposite of a childlike spirit is a cynical spirit. Cynicism is increasingly the dominant spirit of our age. Personally, it's my greatest struggle in prayer. If I get an answer to prayer, sometimes I'll think, it would have happened anyway. Other times, I'll try to pray, but wonder if it makes any difference. Many Christians stand at the edge of cynicism, struggling with a defeated weariness. Their spirits have begun to deaden. But unlike the cynic, they've not lost hope. My friend Brian summarized it in this way. I think we've built up scar tissue from our frustrations, and we don't want to expose ourselves anymore. Fear constrains us. Cynicism and defeated weariness have this in common. They both question the active goodness of God on our behalf. He goes on, I I know that I'm not alone in my struggle with cynicism, but most of us are not aware that it is a problem or that it's taking hold in our hearts. It just feels like we can't find the joy in things, like we are too aware to trust or hope. Cynicism begins with the wry assurance that everyone has an angle. Behind every silver lining is a cloud. So, you know, that is pretty common, right? Horizontally. A lot of people do have angles. And if we're honest, even we do at times. But it gets really dangerous when you start to project that up onto God. That's what Satan did in the garden. He was cynical, and he sowed seeds of cynicism in Adam and Eve. And then he writes this, cynicism looks in the wrong direction. I think this is profound. It looks for the cracks in Christianity instead of looking for the presence of Jesus. It is an orientation of the heart. What do I do with this heart of mine? Cry out for grace like a hungry child. Prayer is feisty. As soon as I begin asking for help, I have become like a little child again. I stop becoming cynical. Oddly enough, my prayer is answered almost immediately because in the act of praying, I've become like a child. The cure for cynicism is to become like a little child again. Instead of critiquing others' stories, watch the story our Father is weaving. So this is grace that we need. We need light for confusing, frustrating circumstances. We need heat, like warmth for our coldness and our cynicism. Jesus brings both, and he brings both in some really sweet ways in this passage. So Luke 11, 1 to 13, what's the main point? Right up front, Jesus teaches us how to pray. Pretty simple. That how, though, has both content how and motivation how. So he helps us in both ways. What to pray for and help for people for whom it's a struggle to pray, at least regularly, consistently. So in teaching us how to pray, he's actually teaching us how to live how to live to follow him and fulfill our purpose for this life. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, how do you become a disciple of Jesus? It's actually fairly simple. You 
see that you trying to direct your own life is only going to lead you to wander into a ditch and make a wreck of things. So rather than trying to be the lords of our own life, little gods, really, we recognize that we were made by God, for God. Jesus is God in the flesh. He came and lived and died to pay for all of our wretched sin and rebellion so that we could get back on the path by his grace and follow him in the path of true humanity, what it means to really live, to love God with all your soul, heart and soul and mind and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. That can only happen by the grace of Jesus. It can only happen as we trust in him and follow him. So this, he's giving instruction to his disciples here, and he's going to teach us how to pray. And if, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, I just encourage you to consider who this man is, the God-man, who is teaching us to pray, and whether he is trustworthy as the Savior and Lord that he claims to be. All right, so let's read Luke 11, 1 to 13, and then we'll dive in. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John, meaning John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing set to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, well, instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Lord, please, as you teach us to pray, would you please teach us? To pray. Open our eyes to see you for who you are and us as we truly are. And give us your grace for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so three points. Point number one Jesus' discipleship curriculum in verse. One, All right? Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So notice, do you notice this? That it was Jesus' example that prompted the disciple to ask this question. 
Jesus was praying, and when he finished, one of his disciples said, hey, would you teach us? Jesus not only gave his disciples a model of prayer in this passage, he was a model of prayer. He lived it out. So this is actually something that Luke, if you're familiar with the gospel or if, if you read it, you know, maybe this week or whatever, you'll see that he goes to lengths to highlight this in his gospel. We see Jesus regularly retreating to spend significant time in prayer. We also see Jesus praying before major decisions and at critical points in his life and ministry. So Luke wants us to see that and in seeing it, be influenced by Jesus to become more like Jesus. The disciple who asked Jesus to teach them to pray certainly was, which is why he was prompted to ask, Lord, we, we want to learn to pray like you pray. So the Lord's Prayer, very well known. You probably noticed that this one, this version of it in Luke 11, is a shortened form from the one in Matthew 6. So why the shortened form? Does this mean Luke's memory is not so good? Maybe we can't trust the rest of his gospel? Um, could he only remember parts of it? No, Jesus taught many times and in many places with lots of different people and crowds and privately with the disciples over the three years of his public ministry. So Luke is simply recounting the teaching from another occasion because certainly this parable, this story of hospitality doesn't show up in Matthew 6. Does that mean that Matthew forgot that? No, it's different emphases teaching it in different ways with different illustrations or whatever at different times, okay? So Jesus is asked by one of his disciples to teach them to pray. This is a part of the OG discipleship curriculum, okay? So we have discipleship curriculum here at Bethel, 9 a.m. It started up again this morning, so if you're not a part of it, you can start next Sunday morning. There's two classes, you know, Christian Ethics and Old Testament Survey, well, this was the original discipleship curriculum. Jesus is about to teach a class on prayer. So last week, at the end of the service, we announced the do discipleship curriculum classes if you were here. Um, what if, and I know this is cheesy, but like, just go with me for it, with it for a second. So like, what if we had said at the end of the service, okay, we've got two discipleship curriculum classes next week. The first class is Christian ethics taught by so-and-so, and so-and-so, and, -so, and the second class is how to pray, and Jesus Christ is going to be here to teach it. Like, I would hope that every single one of us would sign up and show up this morning, you know, for that class. And we definitely would not have been able to fit in one of those classrooms. We would have had to have it in here, right? Well, that's basically what we have here. So let's pay attention to the master teacher, our master and teacher. How's he going to respond to this request to teach us to pray? What would you have expected? Point number two, what should we pray for? Verses two to four. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. So learning to pray in Jesus' school begins with learning the one to whom we pray, to our Father. I mean, he could have chosen many different titles for God to start this out with. He started with the most intimate, familial, relational term. In fact, I, I was 
wrestling with this last night and feeling like, I oftentimes feel like, I don't even know what, what to say here. Anyway, not to go into that. Um, but I, I knelt by our bed late last night and I just started praying the Lord's Prayer. And I just hit Father, and sometimes you can, you can pray these things, and it just doesn't, like, land on you. And last night, right there, it was like, oh, Father. Like, there, there are so many resources. There's so much grace here that's available. All these promises started to flood to mind. Psalm 2710 says, My father and my mother have forsaken me, but Yahweh will take me in. This is the one to whom we pray. He's our Father. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the one to whom we pray. We can often feel like, ugh, and I'm such an idiot. I've, I've been such an idiot. I'm so sick of my sin, my anger, my lust, my prayerlessness, my lack of dependence, my grumbling, my angry heart, and on and on. He's got to be sick of me by now. Like regularly in the New Testament, when we get instruction on prayer, the character, the heart of the one to whom we pray, our Father, is front and center. Like for instance, in James 1, if any of you lack wisdom in trial, let him ask God. And then listen to this. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. Without reproach. What's that all about? He knows you've been an idiot. He knows we've been an idiot. We've been idiots. He knows we're prone to wander. He doesn't go, oh, oh, so now you're coming to ask for wisdom. Let me just slap you on the hand a few times and, you know, wag my finger in your face. But no, without reproach. The gospel is all about adoption for insolent Rebels who deserve to be rejected and judged. And the character of God, our Father, loving, merciful, gracious, it's why he sent his son to take our punishment. We, insolent rebels, by his grace, through faith in Jesus, mercifully forgiven, adopted so that we could be beloved daughters and sons and say, Father, we can't take that for granted. We need to stop and savor that and just realize all of the megatons of grace that it took for that to be possible. Like, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are in Christ. You are clothed with his righteousness. The Father loves and accepts you as he loves and accepts his son. His beloved son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you are in Christ... That's how the Father views you. So can you come? Yes. If you want to be taught to pray, you've got to first learn to whom you pray. There's not power in prayer in some sort of weird, mystical way. Like, prayer is powerful because God is powerful. <laughs> and this is not just like electricity. It's a personal God, our Father. Listen, the path to the Father is not strewn with eggshells. Oh, I better not say the wrong thing. He's good. God is not capricious. He's not moody. You can approach boldly like a child to your loving and able and willing to help Father. 
teach us to pray. Okay, ready? Father. This is what you should start with. This is what you should say. So what do we pray for? He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Jesus teaches us to begin with God. Okay, God as Father, but also God as God. What's the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? As the catechism says, God is the center of gravity in the universe. We orbit around him, not him around us, like some sort of cosmic genie. We are not God. God is God. As such, we exist for his glory, not the other way around. And yet, living in line with our purpose as image bearers, created and then redeemed to glorify God, that is the best thing for us. It's not oppressive for a fish to stay in the water, to fulfill its purpose. It's not, it's, it's not freedom for a fish to resent the water and try to escape and exist on land. So when we hear, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, that's actually the path to life. It's the path of life. So we need grace to live in a way that honors and glorifies and hallows the name of God rather than dragging his name through the mud and belittling his great name. Like, don't you want your life? Listen, brother, sister, Christian, don't you want your life to be an argument for the grace and goodness and truth of God? You don't want to be a hypocrite whose hypocrisy drags the name of God through the mud, right, and gives people outside the church an argument not to believe. So this is a personal prayer. First, hallowed be your name in my life, my heart, my mind, my actions, my attitudes, my words, my everything. And like concentric circles, it's a family prayer. It's a church family prayer. It's even a missionary prayer. Lord, there's so many people who are lost and wandering in the dark. So many people that are shaking their fist at you. Hallowed be your name where it is not. So with the concentric circles, with the meaning of what this thing means, hallowed be your name, think about there are just a million applications to this prayer, right? Think about how, let me just try to make this a little bit practical here. We can't drill in too much because we've got too much text to cover this morning, but we need to drill in so that it's practical. Like, think about how freeing and practical this prayer is. Um, I'm using this as an example. This doesn't mean that, like, if you are not going through this sort of, or you don't have this situation in your life, then it's not applicable. Use it as a model, and then you can extrapolate from there, right? So let's say you have kids. Should you pray that your child wins their sports game or gets an A on the test? Like, okay, whatever. Like, do you want to pray for those things? That's fine. God knows our hearts, whatever. But like, how about praying whether your child wins or loses, they learn to honor God through defeat and through victory, through success and through failure. And here's the thing, this is why it's freeing. You actually can hallow God's name, whether things go well or poorly. You might not win, but you can still glorify God. You see? 
whether you win or lose, in sickness or in health, in plenty or in want, you can hallow God's name. We need grace, actually, to hallow God's name in either scenario. Because in success, sometimes we just, it's easy to forget about God. And in defeat, sometimes we think he's forgotten about us. So we need grace either way. This is a model. It's not a mantra. The Lord's Prayer is not a mantra. It's a model to be learned and applied to the million situations of life, not a mantra to be mindlessly repeated, even though that oftentimes happens in our culture and in different church traditions. You know, our Father who art in heaven, and hallowed be thy name. Like, you know, let's, anyway. We aren't heard by how many reps we get in in a week. Prayer is communication and communion with our Heavenly Father in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's not a formula. It's not mechanical. It's not a spiritual rabbit's foot. Father, hallowed be your name. It's what I want. So what's that situation that you came in struggling with, like heavy burden, you're not sure what to do, like take that situation that you're struggling with. Okay, Lord, I, I don't know what to do, but whatever I'm supposed to do, whatever you want me to do, I pray that your name would be hallowed through this thing. Lead me on a path where that's the case. Next request, your kingdom come. So we are saying, Jesus is teaching us, I'm not on the throne, you are. You're the infinitely wise, perfectly benevolent King of kings, Lord of lords. Your will be done, not mine. Prayer is not me seeking to bend God's will to my will. It is me bringing my will to God's to be bent to his. Your kingdom come. And that's not like far off, removed from everyday life. It's not a prayer of like, well, somehow, someday, come back and bring your kingdom. That's not what it means. Listen to Luke 18, 17. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does that mean? Like, receive a, how do you receive a place? Is it a place? How do you receive the end times kingdom? No, receiving, I'm sorry, the kingdom in the Gospels is a way of speaking of the rule and reign of the king. He means receive his authority. Receive his kingship over your life. Let me substantiate this just quickly here. Listen to Psalm 103.19. The Lord has established his throne. That would be the emblem of his rule, right? In the heavens. And his kingdom, you could say his kingship, rules over all. So your kingdom come is a matter of receiving the rule, the reign of God through Jesus in your life. So to pray this prayer is to ask that his kingship would be established and extended, his lordship over every aspect of your life. That's where it starts. So listen, Jesus is not content. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's not content to be the lord of these areas, but not those areas. Like we can't try to 
compartmentalize the lordship of Jesus into the convenient areas of life. He is Lord of all. He must be Lord of all. So we should pray for and learn to welcome his lordship over everything, work and rest, money and sex, thoughts and emotions, actions and attitudes, words and deeds, marriage and parenting, entertainment and leisure. Christ is Lord of all. Do you want him to be Lord of all? What does it look like for him to be Lord over all of those things? Your kingdom come. Teach me to pray is teach me to live following you, Lord Jesus. Again, this is a model, not a mantra. It's a model with a million applications. And we pray in concentric circles, personally, your kingdom come, my family, people I love, my church family, again, people I love, right? Um, and beyond. <clears throat> and that thing that you're struggling with, that you came in and it was heavily weighing on you, pray this and then yield to and trust King Jesus with that thing. Not your will, I'm sorry, not your will be done on earth as you desire in your own mind, but like, oh, Father, I'm, I'm actually afraid of relinquishing control to you in this area. As if I had it in the first place, as if I know better than you what's best, help me trust you. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your lordship Help me to welcome it, not resist it, yield to it, not run from it in this area of life. So your kingdom come is a call to consecration, to full yieldedness to the lordship of Jesus in every realm of our lives. Like how often do we just like section off a part of our lives and resist yielding to the kingship of Jesus? We're afraid of what it'll cost or what it'll mean. No, your kingdom come. It's a refusal to surrender to other masters. A refusal to be, be ruled by anybody else or anything else. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Any idols of the heart. Now what would you expect to come next? These are like big God-centered prayers. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And then Jesus says, here's how you should pray. Please provide me enough to eat Pardon my sins, protect me from temptation. It's not very flashy, but that's where we live. And that's where much of the rule and reign of God gets worked out in the way that we eat and drink and what we wear, in the way that we repent of our own sins and forgive the sins of others against us, in the way that we fear the Lord and shun evil and how we deal with temptation. And that is so much of where we will either hallow or profane the name of our Holy Father. In the everyday, in the ordinary, that's where the battle is won or lost. So do you see how we need grace and help from God to live the ordinary Christian life in a way that hallows his name, that welcomes his kingship, if we don't know how to hallow God's name in the ordinary, we're not going to know really how to live because ordinary is where we live. 
It's not out there in some extraordinary thing that we might do out there in the future. There are a million opportunities to hallow his name and seek first his kingdom right where we are. So give us each day our daily bread. We'll have to do this quickly. It's just shorthand for daily needs. In fact, you can see that bread means more than just like a loaf, but daily needs, if you look at it, its use in the book of Luke. So listen, even if you're doing fine financially, we all are utterly dependent on God for all things. This is a prayer for all of Jesus' disciples, whether rich or poor. And note that it's plural. Give us our daily bread. As one of the Father's children, we are to care for our family. And we will actually oftentimes be called on to be the answer to our prayer for another needy brother or sister. Look at verse 4. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Strange wording there. Does that mean that we must, we've got to earn God's forgiveness by our forgiveness? Forgive us because we've forgiven everyone? No. Doesn't mean that we earn or merit God's forgiveness by means of ours. Jesus is not saying you can't come into my kingdom unless you've met this entrance requirement. Um, we could spend a lot of time on this, but just to try to make this point fairly simple, consider the logic of Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So Jesus is teaching us that his disciples are repenters. We're sinners, so we need to be repenters. We deal honestly and humbly with our sin. We're all forgiven sinners, We've been forgiven infinite debt, like the parable in Matthew 18. How can we not forgive those who sin against us? We'd be hypocrites not to. So Jesus is teaching us how to pray, but also how to live. Father, we are among those whom you have forgiven, and forgiven sinners forgive sin. And we need your forgiveness. We are sinners still, we're painfully aware of our failures, so continue to have mercy on us because we are your people. Your people are not self-righteous, merciless, you know, refusing to forgive those who've sinned against them. No, that would be hypocritical. It would be a dangerous sign of an unforgiving heart to ask for forgiveness all the while unwilling to give it to others. So are you holding a grudge against someone who's wronged you? Is bitterness against someone like gnawing away at your soul like corrosive chemicals? King Jesus is not just teaching us how to pray here. He's teaching us how to live. So we can actually pray that we would know the infinite grace and mercy of our forgiving God, that we might be empowered by God's mercy, to forgive those who have sinned against us, that we might pray as Jesus taught us to pray here. So again, this is an extremely meaningful model, not a mindless mantra. Last request, lead us not into temptation. Lead us away from temptation into faith and obedience. You're the king. Your kingdom come. 
Lead us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Lead us in such a way that we will always find that escape hatch from temptation, away from the pitfalls and the snares of sin. Like we are all spring-loaded. We are prone to wander. Like do you know how deceitful your heart is, my heart is, how deceitful sin is, how Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom, how, whom he may devour. Like, do you fear unbelief? Do you fear the deceitfulness of sin? Do you fear your love growing cold, indifference and cynicism growing? Like, Jesus is not just teaching our heads here. He's instructing our hearts. He's keenly aware that life is war. Oh, God, please protect me. Keep me. Help me flee from temptation and not toy with it. Don't let me yield to it. Don't let me get lulled to sleep. Don't let me be blinded by the deceitfulness of sin. And again, this is lead us. This is a call to live out, like Hebrews, 12, Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you a sinful, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Encourage one another day after day and pray for one another that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's one of the reasons why we have community groups. Lead us not into temptation. We are locking arms together because we are a band of brothers and sisters in wartime, and we need each other. So do you see how important this model of prayer is? Don't let it become a mindless mantra. <clears throat> now from here, Jesus tells a parable of sorts. It's a little story about hypothetical hospitality. Like, why would he go and do that at this point? What's the point? Well, let's look at verses 5 to 13. We're going to find out. And what we're going to find, and we can go through this fairly quickly, is that Jesus doesn't want to just teach us what to pray, content. Because we can know what to pray and still not pray, right? Still be prayerless. We also need to know how to pray. Prayer is hard. He's teaching us about not just content, but motivation. So point three, last point, hypothetical hospitality and our Heavenly Father, verses 5 to 13. It seems like it's three, three separate different things, you know, the little story in verses 5 to 8, and 9 to 10, there's this ask, seek, knock exhortation, and then 11 to 13 is this comparison between earthly fathers and our Heavenly Father. But actually, it's one thing. Okay? In three different ways. So here we go. And he said to them, which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. At that time, this would never happen. That would be crazy. Be just really in bad taste to do this. And what guy, if that ever did happen, would say, don't bother me now. No, in this hospitality culture, he would never answer this way. Like, come on, I just got everybody to bed. The dog is in the kennel, you know, like, Stop knocking on the door. The dog, the dog start barking. Okay, whatever. The dog is barking. Yeah. No, he's going to get up. Why is he going to get up? Oh, because you're my friend. No, because of your stupid audacity to knock at the door at midnight. That's why. So that impudence word means shamelessness, impertinence, lack of sensitivity to what's proper. That's why he got the lows from his friend. So what's the point? If under these inconvenient circumstances, a human being would respond and give so that the shameless asker, seeker, knocker would receive, 
you know, find, have the door opened. How much more so God, our Heavenly Father, when we ask, seek, knock, whenever we are in need. We can do so boldly, confidently, shamelessly. So, do it. That's why verses 9 and 10 follow right on the heels of this. And I tell you, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be open to you. Sounds like it's just kind of mindless repetition here. Well, well, obviously, for everyone to see. No, the point is it works. God actually responds. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. And I know we get disillusioned with unanswered prayer. Okay? And I can't go off on that tangent too much except to say maybe, like, obviously, God's ways are higher than our ways. Sometimes we want something very specific the timing, God's timing is different. Um, sometimes it's not yet. Sometimes it's no. He's wise. We can trust him. Sometimes it's just we're so short-sighted. Like, I want to get fit. And you go to the gym, and you, like, gas out after 20 minutes, and, you're, and then you look in the mirror when you get home, and you're like, what the deal? I'm, I'm not fit. That didn't work. Is that how it works? Does that mean... That it didn't work? What does it mean for it to work? How long does it take for it to work? It's actually a whole process, right? Are you guys tracking with me? Okay. Um, so, ask, seek, knock. This is all about motivation to pray. We can confidently come. We can expect to receive. Yes, we still doubt, right? But Jesus knows our hesitations and our reluctance, so he teaches us again about the heart of God, our Father. Verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Now, Jesus knows there were cruel, abusive fathers back in his day. Jesus speaking with generalization here. Generally speaking, if a child asks for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion balled up so it looks like an egg, but it's really dangerous? And then he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? That's the point. Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the parable to help you pray, he had the audacity. It's why he was supplied in his need. So, brothers and sisters, we're being taught by Jesus. Discipleship curriculum, ask, seek, knock. Why are we reluctant to come? Maybe we're cynical about the heart of God. And then he talks about the heart of our Heavenly Father. Listen, notice this. Over three times as much ink is spilled on the motivational stuff in verses 5 to 13 as the content stuff in verses 2 to 4. Jesus knows that that's the bigger obstacle to our prayers. It's not, I don't know what to pray for. I don't even know if it really makes any difference. But if we get this how much more thing, if it starts to sink in, and the gift of the Spirit, it works backwards. How much more? I can trust my Heavenly Father. He's infinitely wise and He's good and He's loving. I mean, if we, as human fathers... 
how much more so him, so I'm going to ask and seek and knock. What do I ask? Oh, Father. Oh, thank you that I can call you Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Help me trust you for provision. Help me be a good steward with what you provide. Help me to be generous and willing to share. Guard me from temptation. Do you see? So, as we head into this new year, prayer begins with knowing the one to whom we come, our wise and mighty and benevolent and gracious Heavenly Father, and knowing who we are, needy, beloved children. So we should actually leave this morning and head into 2024, I know we're already there, okay, with how much more ringing in our ears. If we're going to learn to pray in 2024, grow in the school of prayer in 2024, how much more needs to be ringing in our ears? Listen, don't miss what the Father promises to give here. His Spirit dwelling within us, filling us, empowering us. You have the Spirit of the living God dwelling in you. You do not go alone into 2024. Even if the other shoe does drop, you're not alone or helpless against those trials. Think of how essential the Spirit of God is to even following Jesus and living a prayerful, dependent life. We might not know what to do. We might not like what we have to do, but we can do what we're called to do in the strength of the Spirit. We have a comforter from God. We have a guide from God. He leads us into all truth. He's our advocate and helper. We have power for witness. Remember Acts 1.8. We're going to actually head into the book of Acts next Sunday. When he fills us and governs us, we can bear his sweet fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, no matter what our circumstances. We are not going alone into 2024, and we are not going into 2024 on our own. So we head into this year following Jesus by the power of the Spirit with every right to boldly approach the throne of grace the throne of our loving Heavenly Father where we can expect to find mercy to help us in our need. All right, so as we now approach the table of our Lord, if the guys who are going to be serving can come forward, realize that this table is like a megaphone of how much more. We should feed on the grace of how much more. Think about Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Like, give us everything that we need to follow him faithfully, no matter what the circumstances. So taste this grace, feed on this grace, let it work backwards. He's already given us everything by giving us Jesus. Forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with him, a living hope, fullness of joy forever at his right hand in the new creation where there'll be no more curse, no more death, all things made new, and all his very great and precious promises. He's going to be with us even to the end of the age. So feed on that grace. Let it, change the metaphor, melt the cynicism. Drive it out.
feed on the goodness of God. Trust the goodness of your loving Heavenly Father so that you can head into those trials that face the things that are causing weariness and coldness and whatever else with the grace of our Lord and Savior.